I just parked my car. Definitely still tripping off these mushrooms a little bit. Seems like people just pull off at the side of the road and start wandering through Joshua Tree. Uh, so I just did that. Guess it's time to have my desert quest. What comes to mind when you think of Joshua Tree? Do you picture the wide-open desert landscape with jackrabbits and lizards and weird Dr. Seuss-looking trees? Do you think about all the desert lore and its mythical healing powers? Maybe you think of pop culture and bands from the 70s and 80s like the Eagles and U2 drawing on Joshua Tree for inspiration. Or maybe you think of people who just want to get out of L.A. for a couple days and hang out in a super modern Airbnb. You know, cute girls with big hats who want to take selfies in front of cacti. And truth is, Joshua Tree can be all of those things because deserts are blank slates. They're this place for people to bring all their preconceived notions and baggage and tap into their imagination or inspiration or inner sadness or anything, really. And what I've found in my time in Joshua Tree and talking to people who come here is that above all else, this is a place where people come to heal or to make something or both. Greetings from somewhere. I'm Zach Mack, and this is Joshua Tree. Right now I'm driving into the desert and I'm listening to Dune, a famous sci-fi novel. Dune, in part, is a story about a place that people thought was uninhabitable and how it actually holds this mystical and literal power. And this feels like the perfect primer for our first stop, to meet a couple of women who, about 20 years ago, decided to relocate to the desert to buy and restore a very mythical sci-fi machine called the Integratron. My name's Joanne Carl, and I'm one of the steward owners of the Integratron. And my name is Nancy Carl, and I'm Joanne's sister, and I'm one of the three sisters that own the Integratron. The Integratron first is a national historic structure. It is a white dome. It's about 40 feet tall. It's about 55 feet in diameter. It is a -a one-of-a-kind structure on the planet. It's made of all wood, no nails, no screws. And the upper chamber, the upper floor, second floor, is one of the finest resonant sound chambers on the planet. The structure was originally built by George Van Tassel. He broke ground there in the 50s. He claimed that he had a physical encounter with people he called the space people, an alien, E.T., who told him he could build a machine that would extend our lives 20 to 50 years, and that if we lived longer lives, we would gain enough wisdom to save our race. We have a very dear friend at Stanford. He's a physicist. When we asked him to describe the Integratron, he said it was the fusion of art, science, and magic. George invested 25 years holding UFO conventions about three miles away at Giant Rock while he built the Integratron all on donations. Howard Hughes was a donor. So there were some high-profile interest in the project. However, George died suddenly in 1978 before he could turn on this machine. 
So the building is actually a machine. It's an electrostatic magnetic generator. It was built to recharge the cell structures of the body to extend or slow down aging to extend human life. So I'm not exactly sure how the Integratron works or if it works anywhere close to its original intention. But I do know that people who are into meditation and sound baths swear by the healing properties of this place. And they're invited to lie down on mats, cozy up under a blanket, close their eyes. And they're invited through some nice deep breaths and to relax. And then the sound therapist plays the 20 quartz crystal singing bowls that are harmonic, but they also set up really amazing resonant waves of sound and they just relax and chill and it's kind of like a mental floss you know (laughs) sort of takes away everything else you were doing and resets you to go about your day in life the reason it's so magical i think for a lot of people is because it strips away your trappings. Again, this is before cell phones and Instagram and all the crazy stuff. People come out here now and pose under Joshua trees and pose in front of the Integratron and they pose for their selfie. But when you are stripped of all of that and you have only yourself, the incredible silence of the desert, maybe the wind of the desert and the Integratron, it changes you. It peels you like an onion. While the Integratron and Desert are working to help people confront internal struggles, in recent years, Joshua Tree has been dealing with its own external struggle. Joshua Tree is found and social media blew it up. It's a lot of Airbnbs and the town is extremely crowded now, especially on weekends. You can't get a campsite in the park. So a lot of people are getting Airbnb houses and loading them up. So there's some tension there with locals and because this is happening in residential communities. And yet people, I think, also are extremely grateful that they can make a living, that they have enough tourism coming to town to support their businesses and have some resources in their life that they haven't had before. So it's a bittersweet thing sometimes. You know, development is difficult here because of environmental concerns, believe it or not. It's such a fragile place. But also, there's very limited services water, healthcare, evacuation routes, emergency services, police, sheriffs. All of these things are limited to the population. We had a group that came in and they all had phones in front of their faces the whole entire time, took pictures of everything, just constantly clicking pictures and running around, crawling all over everything. And I mean, they were in their 20s. And um, Nan said to him, you guys better be careful, the desert bites back. People come out here and they think, this is it for me, I'm gonna do this thing. And the desert spits them out. They can't make a living, they can't stand the solitude, they can't stand that they don't have stores and shopping and we made it because we gave as much as we asked for or needed. 
So there's always that tension. Some people are, you know, go back to LA, you know, they have that kind of mean spirited or just don't want to deal. And other people are finding that they were able, locals were able to buy a cabin and fix it up and actually make a living doing their Airbnb thing. So we don't blame anybody for what they're doing. You know, we don't because we came here 35 years ago and were determined to make it here as well. You know, we can understand the draw. The desert creates a draw. It's magical, it's quiet, it's beautiful, it's amazing. You don't always get everything you want when you want it and bring what you need and do with less and relax. And that's, you know, what the desert draw is, I think. My next stop is to meet a man whose entire profession is centered around healing. I'm Rami Abusita. I'm a shamanic practitioner and transformational guide. I live in Joshua Tree. The shamans that I trained with come from the high Andes of Peru, and they're really the, the mystics of that culture. And can you tell me about this space? This space is really beautiful out here. Yeah. Well, it's easy to find acreage in Joshua Tree. We live on two and a half acres of land and um, around us you see some structures that I've built. There's a five hammock kind of pyramid structure, shade structure in the back, and a labyrinth for people to meditate and walk through. That's where we do sound baths and we've been hosting some retreats at the house. So trying to take advantage of this beautiful scenery and this great land, the peaceful stillness. It allows you space to kind of really visualize where you're at in your life. And um, I moved here from L.A. We were living in L.A. for a year and a half, and that burned us out enough that we wanted to get as far away from people as possible. (laughs) (laughs) It's important for me to be connected to nature and to have stillness. I love people, but I also need moments where I'm away from it all and can just connect in stillness. That can be challenging to do in L.A., In L.A., I felt like I was doing it all on my own. And doing it out here in Joshua Tree, I feel like the land is helping me to do my work. I can create this sacred space for my clients, and the land does a lot of the work. So I feel like I'm collaborating with Joshua Tree, whereas in L.A., I felt like I was kind of working against it. The desert, obviously, is very charged by the sun energy which in the middle of the summer can get pretty aggravating. I just had my first summer in the desert and uh, felt uh, the intensity of it. But it's also a great help. So there's the sun energy, there's the expansiveness of being able to see for miles, and there's the stillness and the quiet, which is shocking if you come from a city. We would open our windows at night and not hear anything at all. And... That stillness and that quiet, it does something to kind of reset your energy. When I think about the desert, my perception was always it's harsh and unforgiving terrain. It's hot. Few things can survive. But yet there's this connection to healing, right? It, it seems there's a place not too far from here called Death Valley. <laughs> it, it seems like a bit of a contradiction that the place that is like maybe the least hospitable to life would be the, the best place to go to heal. I guess that's a fundamental misunderstanding that healing has to be gentle and and peaceful. 
I mean, the idea of death and rebirth is is big in shamanic cultures, and um, ultimately, that great transformation of death when we leave this world, we want to invite that into our life so that we can experience these cycles while we're still alive and experience that great transformation of death while we're still in a physical body. So being able to be in a place that helps us face our own mortality, something about some of the discomfort that you experience here, it also helps you face your own sometimes inability to surrender to the elements. We like to think that we're bigger than nature and I think this year and with the pandemic is helping us remember that we are animals and that we are of the earth. We're not separate from it. So the desert is a good place to be humbled. It really is this need for surrender and on my own healing path, like the most important lesson that I could say that I've learned is how to surrender. Yeah. And can you talk about that lesson a little bit or or how you give yourself over to that? Well, I mean, the reason I stepped onto this path was I developed a chronic illness when I was 17, and that lasted for about five years, and I was nearly bedridden during that time. And so I had to explore a lot of alternative forms of healing and really had to get honest with myself and drop into my role in my own healing. I focused a lot on things that I could do, like nutrition and meditation and, you know, going to see doctors and all that. And the concept of surrender came up a lot. I was being recommended books about it. And I felt that if I surrendered, I would allow my illness to win. And I would be destined to kind of live in a wheelchair the rest of my life. I felt that surrender was equivalent to giving up. And I think that's a very Western notion. What I ended up learning was that surrender is just not fighting reality. I was waiting for this moment where my body wouldn't be in pain, where everything around me would be perfect, and then I could be happy. And what I found through surrender is that the option for happiness was always right there, right in front of me, but I needed to allow it in. I needed to accept that everything is as it should be. And who am I to think that I know better than the universe? On a fundamental level, I'm, I'm just a guide. My clients come to me who are experiencing, they may be experiencing a physical illness. A lot of the time, they just feel stuck in their lives in one way or another. Stuck in their relationship, in their job, and in these old patterns that just keep repeating themselves in their lives. So the work that I do is really about showing people their own power, showing people their own divinity and reminding them that they have the power to change their lives. A lot of people are afraid to believe in those possibilities because they may get let down, they may get their heart broken. Sometimes it feels better to just accept your lot in life because who are you to expect anything more? And acceptance is a really important first part of it. But then dreaming a new world into being is uh, is also possible. Yeah, the work that I do is just about reminding people of their own power. It's not about becoming a guru. I don't want any part of that. (laughs) Can you draw the distinction? I think the age of the guru is over and that it's more important that people become their own gurus. I think it's great to be inspired by people who seem to have something figured out that you don't. Inspiration is great, but when we start projecting our own power on these authority figures, you'll see a lot of bad things happening. Okay. 
a lot of people want to come out to the desert and like trip out. Do you know why, why that is? Uh, yeah, I'll say mushrooms and, uh, and Joshua Tree psychedelics can be the 3D glasses that you're missing. But <laughs> I think uh, the history of psychedelic use in our country after that resurgence in the 1960s, a lot of people went really deep and took really heavy doses. And that used to be the norm and kind of everybody's understanding of psychedelics until more recently when microdosing has become more popular and taking even sub-perceptual doses and finding benefits from it. So I would say I'm a big proponent of starting really small and gentle and uh, you can still gain great benefits from just dipping your toes in the water. It's a very powerful tool. You know, you can use a hammer to build a house or to bash someone's head in, and I think psychedelics are the same way. They're not purely healing in and of themselves. They're a tool, and they're a tool that opens a doorway that has always been present within yourself. It just makes it easier to see. The thing that can be scary with doing psychedelics is that if you're hiding anything from yourself, you'll be damn sure that it's going to come up. And that's kind of the point, so that we can stop running from ourselves and, and face what's inside. A little later, I make my way up a long driveway surrounded by beautiful desert plants. I'm met by a nice woman outside of her modern home. She's owned property out here since the 90s and does a lot of work with veterans running creative programs and art projects to help them, quote, transform the wounds of war. Hello, Zach. My name is Cheryl Montel, and I live in Joshua Tree. So uh, really a common thread from everybody I've talked to and a lot of people I've like read about in Joshua Tree is it seems like people come out here to make something or to heal, and your work involves both. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there is such a creative component out here. I, I, I mean, people, people will come and visit Joshua Tree, and they look around, and they settle, and they go, oh, I have to live here. I mean, even if it's for a brief period of time, there are certain people that are called to this area, and certainly Joshua Tree is a vortex of healing energy. There's no question about it. There's vast horizons and lots of space. We are coexisting with roadrunners, tortoises, a lot of quail, hawks, rabbits, mountain lions. I mean, you know, there's a lot of nature and a lot of activity in nature out here. I do have a beautiful house in Los Angeles in Laurel Canyon, but it's much more healing here. It's quieter, and it is the long view. It's the sunsets and the sunrises that just kind of blow me away. Um, how's it been since the pandemic hit? We spoke on the phone, and you said a lot of people are coming here. A lot of people are moving here. I think people want to get out of the cities, and it's not just L.A. I mean, people are coming from Portland and Seattle and Oakland and I don't know where else from. It's a bit much. I, I worry because they flock out here, and I won't go downtown unless I absolutely have to. It's just too many people, and not everybody is responsible, and that's a real drag. Be aware that there is a community here, that it's not just for 
taking advantage of and being a tourist, that's fine. But I've had people on my property doing photo shoots, and that's not cool. People were having photo shoots on your, on your like, here? Over there. Oh. But, yeah, somebody was standing, you know, these two young girls were, like, you know, voguing and taking this is before COVID. And I just went up, I said, you know, this is private property. Oh, sorry, sorry. You know, some people just are not paying attention. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, no, totally. Coming up, some people who came to Joshua Tree to make things. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, after a lot of talking about the desert, I'm finally on my way into the desert to spend an entire day alone. And as I'm driving, my friend and business partner, Sam, calls the check-in. Yo. What's up, dude? I'm going for a little hike in Joshua Tree. I'm, uh, I'm driving there right now. Solo hike? So, find yourself? Solo hike, gonna go find myself. Exactly. Love that, I love that. Just, uh, just record your thoughts. I think this is going to be a good episode, man. I, I think instead of like Marfa, where I try, where I kind of tie everybody together as like a story, I think this will be, I, I was telling you, like split up like little, yeah. like mini profiles. And one of those profiles will be me, you know? There you go. The story you've always wanted to tell. I spend five or six hours just alone walking through the desert. I see some people, but I don't interact. It's just me and my thoughts, and there's a lot to think about right now. I just arrived in California, and I'm planning on spending an unknown amount of months here. Most of my stuff is in storage, and I'm thinking a lot about my life and what comes next. Right now, I'm a little sad because this trip was supposed to be more social. A couple of my best friends were going to drive down and meet me out here for the weekend, but things with COVID took a turn for the worse in December, and we decided to cancel it. I'm reflecting on all this, plus a recent relationship that fell apart. Oh, and I may or may not have done a couple of microdoses of shrooms, which, you know, is forcing me to confront some hard truths. And one thing I notice here, especially after coming from the city, is how quiet it is here. It's so quiet. And I am here alone to think, to reflect, and to make my podcast. My name is Avon Houghton. I'm uh, an actor and a writer. This is my friend Avon. He and I met like six years ago in New York, and he's definitely that cooler, younger, creative friend we all have. Anyways, in the early days of COVID, Avon found himself hiding out with some friends in California. I had no interest in going to Joshua Tree at first. 
but my friend had already planned to go. So she was like, just come. We're in the middle of this, this pandemic. And then now, but it was still really early. Masks weren't even mandatory at this point. I think I, I watched the sunset intentionally. Like just sat. We had nothing to do, of course. So I just watched the sun go down for the first time. And it was just so wild. And, you know, was, there were a few of us. My friend was just like, I wish we could make something. Then they were all like, I mean, we're, we could. And like, we'd all been cut off from like our jobs or whatever. I was like, if we want to make a film, I'll write something. And so started the project. Like a lot of us, Avon was able to draw from that blank canvas the desert provides and use it to make something. I made a film. It's a short film called Pup. And it runs about 13 minutes. It's about lonely people. The pandemic was still a new idea. I mean, the news isn't telling us much now, but this is when we didn't know anything. It's just like, stay y'all ashes in the house and we'll call back. And then like, you know, this term starts popping up, social distancing. And I'm like, damn, people are already like pretty socially distant as is. Like people don't really talk. They don't really get close. Now we have a mandated six feet in between us. So what's that say to the people about people who are like already spiritually far away from each other? Yeah, it just became a film about distance, really. It was funny because all of my New York projects didn't fall through until the first day we started shooting the film in Joshua Tree. So I was like on like two or three different calls. Like, oh, that's not happening anymore. Okay. All right. So, I mean, you know, at first it was a, a big mess, but I was really glad I, I got to do it. You know, it was a way to, to see what I had, to see what I, I was made of. Avon's film is beautiful to look at. Lots of style. It makes good use of the desert landscape and this flashy Airbnb he rented, which looks just like a big orange spaceship. It's got a ramp and everything. His movie looks like a music video for a Frank Ocean interlude, and I know he's proud of it. We did it in in good fun. We like all wanted to be creative, and so we just did our best to be. So I didn't put all that pressure that I normally would put into a project. But it was received really well. I didn't know if people were ready for a pandemic like piece of art. I felt like really early, but I figured I would just throw it out there. My name is Ashton Ramsey, and I am starting a hotel motel. Yeah, so I've been out here doing that since, I guess, February, kind of, or or right when COVID hit. Ashton's a developer from LA who moved out here when the pandemic hit. He's been coming here for years and has a number of properties and projects, including a pretty nice restaurant in 29 Palms. It's worth noting that Joshua Tree has become a bit of a catch-all term for all the surrounding areas. So like Landers, Pioneer Town, Yucca Valley, and 29 Palms. And that's because they're all near the actual Joshua Tree National Park. And Ashton is very excited about the development potential of 29 Palms. I'm what you would call a real estate nut. You know, as a kid, I think I really liked the idea of the finances of it working out. Like if you bought a house and you rented it out, it, you know, it makes sense. But then I love the beauty of houses and I love, you know, the style and the design. And so I've always looked for opportunities and, and places that were underutilized or underappreciated to make value in. So anyway, I found 29 Palms and I found some property here. And I, I mean, I found this whole area. I mean, you know, I was looking at Joshua Tree. I bought some property in Landers, but I found 29 Palms and just fell in love. It has amazing weather. It has palm trees. It has mountains. And you're nine minutes to the best part of, of Joshua Tree Park. You have your own entrance and it's just incredible. So... Ashton's hoping his restaurant and the renovated hotel will all help this area become even more of a draw. 
So what has happened is friends are, mo- are moving out and they're buying property in 29. And there's a community that's sort of starting. And it's really fun to kind of be at the forefront of seeing people kind of come into an area and have dreams of, you know, opening coffee shops or renovated, you know, rundown properties and turning them into, you know, Airbnbs or, or whatever they're doing. But what's been exciting is I expected a lot of people to um, want to buy an Airbnb and be an out-of-town owner, but they're real, they're moving to town and they're investing in the community and they're caring about the community. And it's, you know, we, we have a group of friends out here that uh, have a home base at the, at the restaurant and, you know, so it really makes it easy for people to move out. I think that's what made it hard before is, you know, if you move to Joshua Tree, there weren't great Airbnbs at one time. There was no great hotels. There's no great restaurants. And so if you did take the leap to be the first one out here, you know, you were just all alone in the desert. And now there's a community that's being built. So what has changed since COVID? I feel that what has changed the most, the same people that maybe were interested in just a vacation home are interested in a home now. It's becoming Silver Lake of the desert. Yeah. Do you feel like, I think part of the appeal of Joshua Tree is like, it's a desert. It's like to get away from everything, right? To just be in the wilderness away from people. Now it seems like there's going to be restaurants, there's going to be bars, there's going to be, you know, more and more housing. It's no longer an escape if it's Silver Lake in the desert, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it, it, with, with with change, there's there's good and bad, but I see it as ultimately amazing to be able to, you know, the park's always going to be there, and there's so much land and, and beautiful land around here that's always going to be here and protected government land. But at the same time, you know, I, I really like, you know, I, I like all these areas. I love Pioneer Town. I love Yucca Valley. But 29 Palms in particular has a lot of opportunities for restaurants and things to go into and yet it'll always be just on that verge of wilderness so i am very pro sort of silver lake of the desert and and seeing amazing restaurants and amazing artists and amazing people come in you know and i think there's room for there's plenty of room for that type of growth but you know at at the same time i do know i mean i go to city hall and i go into meetings and i hear people who just want to shut down airbnb and they think that would be great for the city and i look at them and i ask them the question like why do you want these buildings boarded up why don't you want them open you know why don't you want people enjoying this amazing area you know what do they say i mean there's just always going to be that contingency of people that don't want change Nobody wants to live in a small town where their kids are going to think of themselves as living in kind of a a loser area that has nothing going for it. You want to feel like you're around successful people and you have opportunities and you see people doing great things. You don't want to be in a dead community. I saw campaigns early on that said, go back to LA and different things. And that was during the first lockdown. But I just think, I think that we should all be smart about it, you know? Yeah. Tell me about that. You, there were signs? Yeah, people made some stickers or something that said, go back to LA. And it was just during the lockdown. And, you know, it was, I didn't like that because, it, you know, it's, yeah. it's like... Well, it's pointed at you, right? You're one of those people who showed up in the in the pandemic to kind of get away, right? It's, it's, it's a little pointed. I moved out. I'm a local. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a local now. I'm a Joshua Tree, uh, yeah, resident.
So my trip is coming to a close, but I decided to stop at one last place. And that is this big, deserted, carnival-looking fairground to interview a guy that people just kept telling me I had to meet. What's up, brother? Hey, what's going on, man? How are you? Thanks for coming I'm out. I'm good, yeah. Thanks for having This place is amazing. Yeah, my name is Barnett English, and I'm uh, the founder-organizer of the Joshua Tree Music Festivals. That was uh, The first festival was April 11, 12, and 13 of 2003. You know, I've, I've lived here for um, almost 18 years exactly, and I loved it the first day I was here. Uh, but I, I love it even more now. So for people who can't see this, which is everyone who's going to be listening, can you yeah. describe like what it is we're looking at? Where that is are we? uh, hard to say. It's, it is uh, hard It's an to adult say. playground. Um, we've basically built, uh, you know, multiple stages and vignettes and little cabanas and uh, shaded areas and nooks and crannies for people to hang out in. And, you know, we have a whole dedicated yoga stage and a, a mindfulness workshop sanctuary and a play shop area and two smaller stages and two main stages it's like you know the desert the kind of diy feel it's definitely the diy upcycle make it yourself organic kind of feel pre-pandemic was the plan to make this festival like bigger and bigger each year um no it definitely was not i sell coffee at music festivals for 26 years i've been to over 700 music festivals selling espresso, setting up cafes. So I've been to every single Coachella and 25 High Sierra music festivals and on and on and on. And um, to me, the the fun festivals, the greatest, the best festivals are the ones where it's not too big. And then that way you and I, we get to run into each other mm-hmm. 120 times over the course of four days and nights and actually become good friends and actually have real conversations and real experiences. And... Um, what were you doing before you got to Joshua Tree, and what? How'd you? How'd you end up here? Well, I was uh, before I got here in two thousand and two. I'd been on the road for nine years selling coffee at music festivals, and then came to this campground specifically for a small didgeridoo gathering. And to be honest, I really just came to see Joshua Tree because I realized I wasn't going to really make any money. It's only a few hundred people, but hey, what's the worst could happen, right? go to a new place, meet some great new people. And I drove here in the middle of the night and I woke up and I saw this view that you and I are seeing right now and I just went, holy smokes. Yeah. Um, Describe this view for me. Yeah, well, we're, we're looking uh, six miles away as the bird flies. Uh, we're looking at the Joshua Tree National Park and we probably see a six-mile sweeping view of it and all the rocks and shadows and mountains of it. And uh, we're kind of nestled up against another little hill here called the Copper Mountains and... I think we can even see the snow on top of San Jacinto and San Gregorio, the yeah. two largest peaks in Southern California. So, And it's kind of away from the town, so there's not a lot of neighbors. I mean, I'm looking at our closest neighbor, and he's a mile away. Where'd okay. you grow up? I was born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. Then I went to school in Indiana University, and then when I finished, I was, I was in California yeah. about 10 minutes after that. Why? Why California? To me, California represented... Uh, a place where you can come up with the most outrageously stupid idea and people will go, yeah, you should do that, man. It's <laughs> freaking great. But yeah, uh, they're th- talking about people that come out here to create. That's what kind of blows my mind is over the years, I go to parties, a uh, dinner party. If there's 15 people there, I would be the only person that could not play an instrument, paint, weld, and sculpt. I can't do anything. Everybody out here is, there's so many talented artists, no matter what the medium, and not just music, but art, and 
And I think it's the, to me anyway, it's the big, huge, open expanse of the sky in the space. I mean, it, it's like having an uncluttered desk. Mm-hmm. If your desk is cluttered, then you feel your brain's cluttered, you know? So, yeah, people are really discovering it. And then obviously with this new thing that we're dealing with, this pandemic, um, even more people are coming because they aren't going to Disneyland. They're not going to the movie theater. They're not getting on a plane to go home and see their their family. So it's actually, in a lot of ways, good uh, getting more people to go outside and be in nature and go for a hike. A lot of people moving out here, too, it sounds like, during this time. Yeah, it's funny. The last few years, tons of people were buying houses, but not everybody was moving here. Mm. So tons of Airbnbs by absentee owners, and that hasn't always set well with a lot of people here. But now, in the last six months, I've noticed... Houses are being purchased, but they're actually being moved into, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So you're you're pro people coming here and living here. Yeah. Little, you know, I'm, little, I'm the Airbnb is a little more disruptive. Well, it can be, uh, depending on uh, you know. I mean, I'm lucky enough. I don't have a Airbnb next door to me that has caused problems, but I think a lot of people have. But um, and then the locals' housing market is kind of disappeared because uh, of the Airbnb situation. But you know, evolution is going to happen. Change is going to mm-hmm. happen. How have you seen Joshua Tree change over the years? Oh, man. Look at all that pavement. It's all getting paved over. Uh, no, there's, I'm not seeing any pavement for you uh, listening to us. Um, more people are moving out here, but as you can see, there's still a lot of space. <laughs> um, it's definitely changed some. I mean, the park itself is, uh, in the last five years, has gone from averaging a million visitors a year to now it's three plus. Wow. And that's just in the last, really, four years. And um, uh, nothing has changed in the park. It's still uh, an insanely cool jumble of rocks and plants and, and animals. And um, But all of a sudden, uh, the world has discovered it. And uh, yeah. and so the visitor count is way high. Kind of cracks me up. There's always, you know, people that in, this is not specific to Joshua Tree, but just anywhere in the world, people... Once they've lived somewhere, they moan about, oh, I wish it was like it used to be, and oh, gosh, so-and-so is doing this now. And But I think it's actually cool. I think if uh, some of the locals actually introduce themselves to some of the new folks, they probably realize, oh, my God, i got a cool new neighbor. Yeah, totally. Uh, I've been meeting some really fantastic folks in this just in this past year, even with yeah. the quarantine. Uh, you know, and again, um, I don't think we're going to be overrun with pavement out here. Uh, there's not enough water. Uh, to support a huge population. There are very few jobs. Schools aren't so great. <laughs> it's hot and cold and windy all in one day. All the plants hurt to touch. So, you know, we got a few <laughs> things going in our favor to keep the population down. Some built-in, yeah, some cool built-in things that are going to keep this place from blowing up too much. Is there one thing that someone who's coming to visit or see Joshua Tree for the first time they should absolutely know about before? Um, chapstick. <laughs> chapstick and water. Um, buy, buy chapstick in bulk and put one in every pocket. Uh, yeah, it's dry out here. It's a desert. <laughs> that was stating the obvious, being a little bit facetious. But um, no, it's really the national park. I mean, go there first and, and uh, camp out there if you can. Uh, hike for as long as you can. And uh, if, if you aren't moved by the, the crazy... Uh, geology and terrain and and beauty of it, uh, you should check for a pulse. This is Joshua Tree. 
right, that's the show. We are almost done with the season. Next week is our last episode. We have a pretty fun episode for you lined up, and there's also going to be some updates about what's happening with the show. So stay tuned for that. Also, do me a big favor, rate and review and share the show. Blast it on social media. Share it to a friend. Help me get the word out. It all helps a lot more than you realize. Trust me on this one. This episode was produced by myself and Jordan Coley. And Jordan is a very talented writer who just launched his own newsletter. It's about pop culture. That is linked in the show notes if you want to check that out. Big thanks to Daniel Turek, who mixed and mastered and helped sound design this episode. All while on shrooms in the desert, he is super talented. Legal help from Sam Alcabez, who made his very first episode appearance today. Original art by Alicia Tenoyan, who has completely outdone herself. Her original art for Joshua Tree specifically is probably my favorite of the season. It is absolutely gorgeous, and she has just been killing it all season. Shouts out to Scoranon for the music. All right, y'all, we will see you next week for the last episode of the season. Safe travels. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.